The Bible reading for this morning is from 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 21, to chapter 3, verse 7. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you are like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husband, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornments, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes, Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. This is the word of the Lord. And friends, our text this morning is one of the most hated most feared, most avoided passages in the Bible. And it's my aim this morning to convince you that it is good. So let's pray. Lord God, we come to these words which are outrageous to our culture. We come to these words that have been misused and abused. We come to these words that make some of us very uncomfortable. But we come to these knowing that these are your words, and so we ask that you would give us the wisdom to understand them, that you would give us the grace to see how they are good and how they bring you glory. So Lord, work in us by your Spirit as we consider these words now. Amen. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Now, these are not popular words. They sound outdated from the dark days of yesteryear where women were treated like property or worse. They sound sexist. They seem to erect a structure of male superiority that men are better, more important, more worthy of respect than women. 
They sound dangerous. They seem to perpetuate the idea that men have all the power and can use that power to control, to dominate, to enslave women. And friends, the dreadful reality is that these words have been used to that effect. These are words which have been frequently misused and abused. But even if you're here this morning and you're not sort of worried about abuse, my hunch is that most of us find these words just a bit uncomfortable, unpleasant. We don't like them. Uh, For many of us, we kind of, you know, squirm at the idea of men having authority, of women submitting to them. It just seems a bit wrong. These are unpopular words, and because they're unpopular, many of us will come to this passage with a lot of negative thoughts and feelings. I suspect there are some of you here that hate that these words are in the Bible. There will be some of you here who fear these words. Some who just feel a little bit uncomfortable. And if that's not you, I expect that most of us would still view these words as an unpleasant command from our Heavenly Father. And so we respond to them like, you know, a teenager responds to an unpleasant command from their father. You know, like the curfew. You have to be home by nine o'clock. Well, it's reluctant, begrudging obedience. I feel like that's how a lot of us will view these words. We come to it with negative thoughts, with negative feelings. And that's why it's so important that we need to first see that Peter thinks this command is good. Peter doesn't say God wants wives to submit to their husbands, which sucks, but you know, you better do what he says. No, no, no. Peter thinks this is good. He thinks wives submitting to their husbands is a beautiful thing, an attractive thing, something to delight in. In fact, Peter thinks wives submitting to their husbands is so good that he includes it within this section devoted to teaching Christians how to live in a way that attracts unbelieving people to the gospel. Remember back in chapter 2, verse 12, Peter instructs his readers to live such good lives among the pagans, amongst your non-Christian neighbours, that they might see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. He says, live lives that will win people for Christ. Live lives that make people want to get to know your God. And one of the ways we can do that is to have marriages where wives submit to their husbands and husbands respect their wives. Friends, the starting point for us understanding authority in marriage, embracing it, delighting in it is to see that God says this is good, Peter says this is good, and this passage teaches us to expect that when a non-Christian person sees 
submission in marriage done properly, they will think it is good. And so if you can only see this command as bad news, if it makes you squirm or sweat or rage, I understand. That's okay. But can I invite you to suspend disbelief this morning? Set aside those negative thoughts and feelings for a moment and come with us as we take a look at what Peter actually has to say here about men and women and marriage. I also want to acknowledge the fact that there are a lot of you here that are not married, that you're single, divorced, widowed, widower. Um, I'm going to apologise to you that a lot of this isn't addressed to you, but at the same time, it is actually really important that we all hear this. Uh, Marriage is about more than just the two people that are in it. It is something that we do together. And as we'll actually see, there's, there's something really important that single people can contribute to marriages, which sounds odd, but we'll get there. We're going to have a look at authority in marriage. We're going to look at two things, nice and simple, uh, what it is and what it isn't. We'll start by setting up our block of marble, what marital authority is, and then we'll start chipping away at it what marriage is not, what, what authority in marriage isn't, and hopefully by the time we're finished chipping away, we'll have something that we'll recognise is actually beautiful, actually attractive. So what does it mean for wives to submit and for husbands to have authority in marriage? Here's my working definition from this passage. Authority in marriage is... The willful obedience of a wife to her husband and the servant leadership of a husband over his wife shown in attitude and behaviour and given out of reverence for God. Let's unpack that. So first, submission is willful obedience. It is willful. That is, submission is something that a wife chooses to give. Peter says in verse 1, submit yourselves, which means it is up to wives to take the initiative in offering submission. It is willful obedience. It's a deliberate and intentional choice to put yourself under the authority of your husband, to allow him to lead you, to direct you. Now, on the other side of that equation, a husband's authority is servant-hearted leadership. In verse 7, Peter calls husbands to be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Now, let's just address that weaker partner thing. Uh, It could mean one of three things. It could mean that women are generally physically weaker than men. It could mean that women are generally in a weaker position socially and economically, which was certainly true in Peter's day and is still somewhat true today. Or it could be a reference to the vulnerable situation that wives are in on account of their submitting to their husbands. It could be Peter recognising that if wives are going to submit, that is going to make them vulnerable. 
whichever it is, you can take your pick of those, the, the, the jury's still out, uh, but whatever it is, husbands here are being told to lead their wives in an understanding, considerate and respectful way. So there's our starting point. Submission is willful obedience. Authority is servant-hearted leadership. Both of them are shown in attitude and behaviour. Which means it's not just what you do, but it's how you do it. Paul wants Christian wives to win over their non-Christian husbands with their pure attitudes and reverence. He wants them to be adorned with the beauty that is a gentle and quiet spirit. And he wants husbands to lead their wives with respect and care. You see, it's not just what you do. Peter doesn't lay down a a list of laws on what authority looks like. He, He shows us attitudes. Submission and authority are shown in our behavior and in our attitudes. And the final part of my definition is that both a wife's submission and a husband's leadership are done out of reverence for God. Notice in verse 1 of chapter 3, Peter writes, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. And that immediately raises the question, in the same way as what? There's a few options there. In the verses immediately preceding, which Michael read for us, Peter writes about how Jesus suffered as an example for us to follow. And so it could be that Peter is telling wives to suffer like Jesus by submitting to their husbands, which is somewhat amusing, and I don't think that's what he means. He uses the same phrase in verse 7 when he tells husbands in the same way, Be considerate as you live with your wives. So clearly there he's not talking about suffering. But if you go back further to where Peter begins this whole section on submission in chapter 2 verse 13, you'll see that he begins with a general command to all Christians, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Then in verse 18, he applies that general principle to the particular situation of slaves. And he says, slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. And so here in chapter 3, when he tells wives to submit and husbands to lead in the same way, he's saying, have that same mindset. Do it out of reverent fear of God. Do it. For the Lord's sake. Do do you follow me there? When he says in the same way, he's pointing back to the attitude, the, the mindset of doing this for God. And that is crucially important for us. It makes all the difference in the world. Because it means that the submission that you as a wife offer to your husband is actually something you offer to God. And when a husband leads, he does that first and foremost for God's sake. 
which not only shapes how we do this, but it shapes what we do and when we don't do this. So it means you submit to your husband, not because he is worthy of your submission, but because God is. You offer yourself to your husband because it is your heart's desire to please God. And you can offer submission to your husband because you know that the God that you are seeking to please is the same God who offered himself for you. Authority in marriage is the willful obedience of a wife to her husband and the servant-hearted leadership of a husband over his wife, shown in attitude and behaviour, given out of reverence for God. That's the basic picture. That's the lump of stone. Now we need to do some chiselling. We've seen what a husband's authority and a wife's submission is, but it becomes even clearer when we understand what it isn't. And the first thing to see is that authority is not inequality. You see, people in our culture read the Bible's teaching on gender roles in marriage and their first thought is, that's not fair. And perhaps you think that too. That's not fair. Why do we think that? Presumably, it's because we instinctively think that being the boss is best. That wielding power over people is a tool for getting what we want. That is how our world views power. You won't find that in this passage. This is not preferential treatment of men. This is not the Bible giving men permission to use women for their own interests. It's a call for husbands to lead in the way that Jesus teaches in Mark 10 when he says to his disciples, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you, says Jesus. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus transforms our view of power and authority. Jesus pushes aside the world's idea of using authority as a tool to oppress and a tool to get what you want. He sweeps that away and says, no, authority is about caring for others. It is about putting other people's needs first. This is not inequality amongst the genders. In fact, the remarkable thing about this passage is what Peter says about women and wives in verse 7. He calls them, as he addresses husbands, he calls wives co-heirs in the gracious gift of life. Now, that doesn't sound strange to us, but remember Peter's writing in a time where women did not have legal standing, 
Women couldn't vote. Women couldn't hold public office. Women didn't inherit anything from in, within the family. And yet, in the gospel, women are co-heirs, treated at the same, same level as men, equal in worth, equally loved, and yet given different roles. And so the thing we need to understand is submission is not inequality, but two equals taking on distinct roles within the context of marriage. It's also important to note, it is within the context of marriage here. It is wives submitting to your own husbands, not women generally submitting to men generally. That does need to be said. Submission is not inequality. Secondly, submission is not slavery. It seems sad that we have to say that. But submission is something that is given, not something that is taken. Which means, men, submission is not something that you are to demand of your wife. And that applies in the bedroom too. Because I've read many stories of Christian men trying to use the idea of submission to compel their wives into sex. And brothers, if you're telling your wife that she has to have sex with you because she has to do what you say, you need to understand that that's not submission. That's rape. And you need to repent of that. Friends, add to that the fact that submission does not mean a woman must do whatever her husband says. Wives, you are called to submit for the Lord's sake, not for your husband's sake. And God does not want you to, deny, uh, to obey your husband if it means disobeying him. Submission is not slavery. Thirdly, submission does not mean silence. In verse 4, Peter exhorts women to pursue the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. And that it's often been interpreted to mean that women are to stay quiet while their husbands make all the decisions. And from there, you get the picture of the wife who you know, doesn't think, doesn't speak, and just floats along moved along by the will of her husband. That's not what Peter has in mind here. Uh, firstly, a quiet spirit is not the same as a quiet mouth. Uh, Peter's actually here talking about a woman who is gentle and calm and peaceful. That's what it means to have a quiet spirit, not an argumentative spirit. Uh, but secondly, we need to understand Peter is writing to women... And he particularly has in mind women who have made the incredibly bold and courageous move of not following their husband's religion. Do you notice that? He's writing to women who, have, who are Christians who have husbands who are not. Now, that was profoundly countercultural. In those days, women would generally accept the religion of their husband. But here, Peter is addressing women who have made 
independent choices, who have made wise, intelligent choices. He's not addressing women who have thrown their brains out the window. No, he's addressing women who are actually thinking about how they can influence their husbands. This whole passage comes within the context of wives persuading their husbands to believe the gospel. And so, wives, please don't think that submission is something that means you no longer have a say in the direction of your marriage. Now, you're actually being invited to persuade your husband in the most profound way possible, if he's not a Christian, to bring him to faith. And so I do urge you to to understand that submission is not just laying down, playing dead and letting your husband do whatever he wants. No, no, you are still invited to contribute, to discuss, to, uh, to be part of decision-making. Submission is not staying quiet. But finally, and most difficult to say, submission does not legitimise abuse. Some of you might be surprised to hear this, but there's been a number of studies carried out around the world indicating that domestic violence in Christian marriages is at a similar rate to that of the general population. That is, Christian men abuse their wives in approximately the same rate as non-Christian men. There was a study done by the Anglican Church here in Australia just a few years ago that actually revealed higher rates of domestic abuse abuse inside the church than outside the church. And don't for a second think, oh, that's the Anglicans. that's, That's Christians. Or that's people who at least profess faith. Regular church attendees, even. And and one of the contributing factors that that Anglican study identified was this passage. I quote from the report, Although unintended, Christian teachings sometimes contribute to and potentially amplify situations of domestic That's a tragedy. (sighs) Friends, please hear this, and particularly sisters. Domestic abuse is not okay. And if you're experiencing this in in your marriage, whether that's physical abuse or sexual abuse or economic, psychological abuse, any kind of abuse. God does not tell you to submit to that. In Proverbs 27, it says, the prudent see danger and take refuge. The simple keep going and suffer for it. And so I'm asking you, please be wise. Now, as a church, we want to say yes to marriage. We want to say yes to faithfulness. 
We want to say yes to forgiveness, yes to reconciliation. But we need to pursue those things from a place of safety. And so the message from your pastor, from your church, is if you need to leave, we are here for you. Friends, what do we do with all this? How do we put this into practice? It may be that this has just raised more questions than it's answered. But in thinking about how this applies in our marriages, uh, can I say the best thing that you can do as a husband or as a wife is talk to your spouse about this. Discuss what submission and authority looks like in your marriage. This is not something that we need to make a decision about separate from each other. Uh, So do talk about this, do wrestle with this. But can I encourage you to to wrestle with it with the knowledge that this is good. That God delights in marriages that follow his pattern. And so let's do actually wrestle with this. But I want to leave us with one last thing. One last thing that authority in marriage is. Because authority in marriage is something really beautiful. Something that we can delight in. Authority in marriage is an opportunity for all of us to show and to tell the gospel. In Ephesians 5, we learn that marriage is is a symbol of Christ's love for his bride, the church. It's, It's as if God has actually given us marriage for the purpose of pointing to the real thing, which is his love for his people. And so marriage, if you're married, you have an opportunity to live out that symbol, to show and tell the gospel to your partner, but also to the world around you. And so, wives, let me encourage you, show and tell the gospel to your husband and show and tell the gospel to the world as you submit to your husbands like Christ submitted to his Father's will, going to the cross for our salvation. Husbands, show and tell the gospel as you sacrificially serve your wife like Jesus put the needs of his bride above his own. Couples, show and tell the gospel in the way that you act towards each other when you're around your non-Christian friends. Know that your relationship is a tool that God uses to attract people to his precious gospel. And single people, divorced people, widows, widowers, show and tell the gospel as you remind us all that marriage is not our goal. Remind us that there is someone better than your husband or your wife. Someone who loves us like no one else in the world will ever love us. Help us all remember that our hope in this life is not finding a spouse, 
but in taking part in the marriage supper of the Lamb. Friends, let's show and tell the gospel in our relationships. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for the gift of marriage and we thank you for the structures of authority that you have given us, which are difficult, which are sometimes misused and abused. But Lord, show us that they are good and give us the grace to be able to put them into practice in our own relationships. Help us know that we lose nothing by submitting to your authority and that we gain much. And so, Lord, this morning I pray for those here who are not married. Lord, we pray that their longing would be to please you in the situation that they are in. We pray that they would know that marriage is not their great hope but that relationship with you is. I pray for husbands here. Lord, we pray that you would give husbands the initiative to lead their wives and their families well. Keep them from using that position of authority and abusing it, of seeking power for their own benefit. Lord, I pray that you would move husbands to lead in the way that Jesus led, by laying down their own interests for the good of others. Lord, I pray for wives, and we ask that you would help them submit. We pray that you would give them joy in submitting to the authority of their husbands as they submit to you. Lord, I pray for uh, those here who follow you but who have a husband or a wife who doesn't. Lord, I pray that their character would win their spouse without words. And Lord, we pray for those here who have suffered much under bad leadership. We pray that you would keep their eyes fixed on you, the one who laid down his own life. Four hours. Amen.